0: Would you open God's precious Holy Word to 2 Chronicles 34, and our parallel text to that is going to be in 2 Kings 22 as well, and so we come to the reign of good King Josiah in Judah. We'll begin in 2 Chronicles Thirty-four. So let's look at it. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Ammon was his father. He reigned two years. You may remember that. He was a young guy. He only reigned two years. It was a conspiracy. They killed him. Uh, And then the people killed the killers. So he was a child when his father Ammon died. His granddaddy was Manasseh. Manasseh and Ammon, they both were evil kings, very evil, totally evil in Judah. But now an eight-year-old, Josiah, a son of David, eight years old and became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And he did that which was right in the eyes of Yahweh. And he walked in the ways of, Now, we haven't heard that in a long time. He walked in the ways of David his father, and he turned aside, neither to the right nor to the left. That phrase, "turned aside neither to the right nor the left," that is sparsely used. Maybe I'm sure less than half a dozen times. I didn't really, I didn't do, do the research to count the phrase in the Old Testament, but it is especially reserved. For an extraordinarily faithful servant of uh, of Yahweh. Uh, It was used of Daniel, for example. Now, Josiah, it says, walked in the ways of David, his father. It's interesting to me how the scriptures here, anywhere really, how the scriptures are not afraid to compare generations. Now you think about, and we, we've sort of used our imaginations a little bit about how the, how the people in the time of Manasseh and then Ammon turned completely. It, was, it, was, it seemed like it was so easy. Now that doesn't go for all of them. There was, of course, a remnant of people who didn't go along with with the evil and the collapse spiritually of the Southern Kingdom. <clears throat> Among them were some Levites, and we'll talk about that as we go through here, and uh, Hilkiah the high priest. But uh, you have another generation come along, and and you know the ways of their fathers that was like either outdated or, or evil or wrong or something i've i've really focused on some things i guess in a in a sociological sense in the modern era and it's it, these things are not just our nation these things now are international these these uh, unrepentant, horribly evil, God-rejecting attitudes, and uh, I was listening to a debate. Well, it wasn't a debate. They were just talking on a on a a YouTube channel, and this this woman, this young woman, I I don't know, 30 years old maybe? I don't know. Was talking to the guy who was the host. I don't know what claim her fame to fame hers was. And I don't know of what importance he thought himself uh, to be. But they were saying, you know, he he, he posed this question like, where would you like to be or or something like that. And she said, I would really like to be back in the 40s, the 1940s. And it seemed like the subject was, the subject of this talk was something like things that are impossible but would be nice or something like that. And his reply was, well, you wouldn't have he went through this litany of things where he declared that she, as a female, would not be considered a very important part of society. Back in the 40s, that was his, that was his view of that era. Now, this guy, you know, I got a pair of socks on older than him, he, like he knows everything, right? Uh, and I don't know why I punished myself to listen to some of this stuff. I guess it's because I've, I'm short of my anger quota for the day. My anger management needs some practice. Um, but uh, then I thought, you know, you under the era of the fifties, which is when I was born and I remember a much more peaceful time and, and, uh, and a time where everything was closed on Sunday, everybody went to church and all this kind of thing and they, The modern generation mocks that. And, you know, they they call they 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 call Christians people who are filled with hatred and and bigotry and all this kind of thing. Um and I, I thought when I read this how this generation of Josiah's was so far removed from David's generation. Hundreds of years have passed since David was king. But there was, a, there was integrity and personal strength. Um, there, was, there was a tendency toward work and uh, set the goal of prosperity. The, the leadership was righteous in the sense that David with all of his wars and things that he did and, and he would make vassal states out of other nations and they would have to pay tribute, you know, to be protected by David and the great military of Israel. And there was, there was peace and there was prosperity around and um, even the nations that paid him the tribute had to acknowledge that his God was God. We went through that a long time ago when we were back in, Samuel, and how these these, these uh, attitudes toward biblical righteousness can be viewed even in the scriptures as generational. So that just before Josiah, the reign of Ammon, his father, his grandfather Manasseh, That would have included probably two generations or so. And they had collapsed into the darkness of evil and idolatry equally as bad as the northern kingdom had collapsed into and had lost their place among the nations. They fell into defeat uh, to Assyria. And their sin was, was the end of who they were. And even with the prophets telling them and even with the people having witnessed what the northern kingdom had done, the southern kingdom was just thrilled to be a part of the idolatry and the sin and the godlessness of their generations during Manasseh and Ammon. So, we as Christians, we stand on absolute truth, which is the scripture, and especially the scripture in its original language and, and the way it was originally given to us, and, and we reject anything that rejects absolute truth. We don't accept it. We shouldn't, shouldn't accept it at all. Walk away from it. Reject it. Don't have anything to do with it. We're, we're removed in our nation. From the time where I think a majority of the people, I grew up in it. I was there, uh, at least in the world that I grew up in, where they believed the Bible. There, there was no question about uh, you know God and the Son of God, this kind of thing, the way of salvation. But uh, you consider then what happened, and I saw, I saw a picture of uh, people who were still alive who were there at Woodstock. Now, I, I remember I wasn't there, but I. <laughs> these people looked like warmed over death. These old women and old men standing there in that, in that, in that field, you know, like, like it was vacation from the nursing home or something. I don't know. It was, it was really funny to me But, but you think I can't? I was there. I saw what happened in the in the '60s and the things that went on, and this generational clash, you know, on into the '70s, and then in the '80s, especially TV shows. Started using bywords words a little more. Having sexual scenes a little more. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. This thing is a, it's a generational thing. Now, they were at least that bad when Josiah, the little boy, became king. Thank God, somehow he was surrounded by people, and it was by the will of God and by the purpose of God. People who had a standard, a worldview of absolute righteousness as it is presented. And it's it, you can't find it anywhere but scripture. God defines righteousness. The definition of human righteousness has never changed scripturally. It changes generationally. Things Things are evil today that used to be good when I was a child. Things are good today that should be acceptable that were rejected and wrong when I was a child. You see, the standard of righteousness in humanity is always changing when humanity doesn't anchor itself to absolute truth. It's all but, but the absolute truth and the standard of human righteousness scripturally has never changed. It is always the same and the further away the world gets from that the worse the world becomes sociologically i don't mean just religiously i mean i mean sociologically we've talked about it back when we were looking at the collapse of the northern kingdom they had they had totally rejected god hosea you know there was no knowledge hosea said there was there's no knowledge of god in the land by by lying and killing and stealing and swearing, they break all bonds of restraint and blood touches blood. So they became a violent people, the Northern Kingdom of Israel. It starts with, with uh, immorality and, and, and then it goes to social breakdown and finally to, to practically the civil war where groups within, within the nation hated each other, despised them and were shedding each other's blood and it weakened them as a nation such that Assyria easily came in and and captured the nation and enslaved the people. And it's because now they were some generations removed from the time of the righteousness that David had established as a firm leader, a servant of Yahweh in his day. Now, the northern kingdom never got it right. And it just worsened until they collapsed into their darkness. And we've discussed and have seen how during the time of Jehoshaphat, though he was a good king, his family they began to befriend the family of Ahab and and then the 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 evil and wickedness of Jezebel and Baal begin to make its way into the southern kingdom, into the hearts and minds of those of the house of the king. And so not long after that, for the first time in the southern kingdom, we saw of a king in the southern kingdom, he did that which was evil. And now it's getting to where to see one who does good, who does right, is not the norm. The the, the evil thing is the and. We know because we've read the rest of the Old Testament, we know that the southern kingdom of Judah is spiraling toward judgment and slavery under Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So it's, it is certainly a spiritual thing, but this spiritual thing, uh, you know, Jesus said, as you, as you think in your heart, that's how you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When the heart becomes dark, then the darkness of evil and imaginations are manifested in the behaviors and in the behavioral um, drift of the people. And it begins to it begins to spread through it, it the, the, the sin and the horrible uh, behavior that's acceptable in a foreign religion. It is so, it seems like so much fun, but it's bringing disaster to them. They, they, they're, they're blind to it, but it's bringing disaster. So then, Yahweh is gracious. And there's a lot of things to discuss about how Josiah, who had such an evil grandfather and an evil father, how he came to be the kind of king that he was. He did it was right. All right, look, he walked in the ways of David, his father. This tells us that he understood the chronicles, the account of the reign of David. Now that today is our scripture. That wasn't necessarily scripture to them at that point. But it was, it was the record that was the recording of what was going on, especially in Jerusalem and around the temple. So somehow he had been taught the ways of David, his father. Now, we, we go on with this, and it says in verse, uh, well, let's go and look at 2 Kings 22. The, the parallel account. Josiah was eight years old, became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Now here, we get a little hint, maybe. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boschus. That's the only thing said about her. The only thing that's said about her. Daddy, king, Ammon, was slain when Josiah was a little boy, eight years old. Who's making the royal decisions when he's an eight-year-old boy? He doesn't know how to make royal decisions that will affect the nation and his part of the world. The Holy Spirit here inserts the fact in 2 Kings... That he had a mother whose name was the Darling of Yahweh. The Beloved of Yahweh. That's what what her name means. And even who her father was and where she she was from. So, you know, you you can take this or leave it. The Bible doesn't say so. But it seems to me that the early influence that came into Josiah's life that caused the Holy Spirit of God to declare that he did right in the eyes of Yahweh and turned aside neither to the right nor to the left which is a powerful statement. You just don't see that everywhere in the Bible. When you see that he was eight years old and then it names his mother who has Yahweh in her name you begin to think well you know mama's love their babies, right? And surely, surely, she's the one who in the earliest influence read him of the great things of his forebear, the great King David. You're the king now, son. Let me tell you about the greatest days of our nation. Let me tell you about the greatest king we've ever had, and he's your forefather, and you're on his throne now. Boy, can you imagine how a kid would have just loved to hear that? How he could have thought that now he might grow up to be like King David. So we're told his mother's name, and then it says again here in verse 2 of 2 Kings 22, he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. He walked in all the ways of David, his father, and he turned away neither right nor left. So it's a, it's a double dose of, of what kind of young man, what kind of child he was, and that he knew the ways of David, and he walked in all of the ways of David. Now, you know, we spent some weeks... Going through that part of Samuel, uh, when David was king, he was king 40 years. He was king for 40 years. God had established with him that covenant, the Davidic covenant. He wrote the Psalms, many, many, not all of them, but he wrote many of the Psalms. Many of those Psalms were his prayers. Prayers. You, you, I mean, there's probably no more emotional person in the scriptures than David because he could cry like a baby and he could rejoice like the greatest worship leader you've ever thought about. And it was King David who wrote so many of those songs that they sang at the temple. It was King David who appointed that section of the priesthood to be musical priests, to be worship leaders. And they were experts in, in song and in musical instruments. And the, the beauty and glory of their music had such a reputation that when they were enslaved, you remember, the Babylonians said, hey, sing us some of those songs that are so great. They said, no, we've hung our, we've hung our <laughs> guitars on the bushes and the trees. We don't have a heart to sing right now. We're enslaved and our temple is in ruins. Well, they were possibly the greatest choir, the greatest musicians in the world. And this is what King David had established as the king who had a direct covenant with God. And he always prayed about his decisions that he, when he would go to war the Lord would either say, "Yeah, I've given him into your hand," or "Now you gotta wait a little while." A couple of times he faltered; he paid for it. The people paid for it. But he was a man. Here's the thing: David fails; he collapses in the presence of Yahweh with great weeping and grief, repenting and confessing, begging God for forgiveness. Saul slips up, he runs off to a witch to get advice. That's the difference between a man who is pursuing the heart of God after God's own heart and a man who is not. So when it says he walked in all the ways of David, his father, we have to believe that Josiah was that kind of man, that kind of king. He possessed the same covenant that his forefather David possessed given to him by Yahweh. And he did what was right. Apparently, just in the purpose and the infallible will of a sovereign God, Jadida was his mother. Young queen queen no doubt ashamed of her husband no doubt who didn't love his family the way that he should because of the sins he committed the bible is very clear about that but he was only on the throne for 2 years the purpose behind it all though was that through the only good thing in his life Jeddah, he had a son who's going to shake things up for the Lord. Well, let's keep going here. He starts right off the bat. And you have to think, okay, he's just a kid. Somebody has to be helping him with this. So we're in 2 Chronicles uh, 34, 3 through 7. The eighth year when he became king, he was still a youth. He started to seek after God, the God of David, his father in the 12th year. Okay. So he starts pursuing. He comes now as a 16 year old boy. He says, I, I will follow Yahweh. I will not follow Baal and the Ashtarot and graven images. So then in the 12th year, when he's 20, he started to purge Judah, it's a strong word, and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, graven images, molten images. Now, the temple is in ruins. People didn't care for the temple, they didn't support the temple, they didn't want that. That wasn't the cool thing, that wasn't the latest thing. And, you know, hey, King David, he's outdated. He's another time. We got the cool thing going now. Well, not in the heart of Josiah. He purged it. So what does that mean? Here it goes. Verse four. They demolished before him the altars of the Baalim, the sun images that were above them. He cut down the Asharim. Now when you put Baal, Ashtarot together, you have a cult, uh, a fertility cult worship. Which is sexual in its nature, and the behavior that manifests from this in the worship, and it's even outdoors in the high places and out in the trees that they plant. It's, it's it, they're not ashamed. It involves it involves every kind of sexual aberration that you can imagine. Now that's the that's what in Leviticus Yahweh had warned the Israelites about. Yahweh said they do things, and he went through all the horrible sexual misdeeds and sins, and how that they were not, it was an abomination here, but they weren't doing any of that. This is what they're doing, and they're doing it everywhere, and they're doing it as a religion, and they're worshiping false gods, part of the worship, to express their praise. To fertility. Now, fertility has to do with growing your food, with having children, just anything like that. So, this is, this, is, this is open sexual aberration and behavior across the spectrum. You think of any kind of sexual behavior that exists, what they were doing. So, Baal and his Ashtara, graven images, molten images, he smashed them and crushed them and cast them, now look at this, upon the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. You see that word graves? You see the word purge up there? Okay, so you go to purge, and then you see he demolished the stuff, and he killed the people. I like this guy. Jews, Jewish people, had actually surrendered to the priesthood of Baal. They were sending their children through the fires of Molech, sacrificing babies and children. How are they going to know if Josiah means business? Kill a few of them. I'm sure he was fair enough. Forsake Baal, worship Yahweh. No. Bang. Next one. Forsake Baal, worship Yahweh. No. Bang or thrust, I guess. Cast them, tore down all that stuff. Demolished it. Threw it on top of the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He had them put to death. Here's why. I'm going to tell you why. Because the law of Moses declared that what they were doing Was a capital crime. It cost you your life. In Israel. Law of Moses. So. Demolished everything. Through the ruins on top of the graves of those who had been slain. Because they loved Baal and had rejected Yahweh. The bones of the priests. See that some of them become free. The bones of the priests. He burned on their altars. He purged Judah and Jerusalem. Man. I remember a preacher. Having just come out of a revival with his church, another preacher asked him, well, did you, did you have many additions? He said, brother... We had many blessed subtractions. (laughs) And I guess this is that kind of revival. You're not gonna add them to the number, you're gonna take them away. In the cities of now, see how widespread this evil was. The cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, with their instruments of destruction round about. They were everywhere. They were influencing the next generation. A godly leader can't take that. That that can't happen. I I saw an article this past week. I think it's in Minnesota or Mich- Minnesota. Iowa. It's in Iowa. They have a Republican governor anyway for whatever that's worth. And in the rotunda of the state hall, the state legislature Big, you know how those big halls are. Huge, beautiful, magnificent Christmas tree. Not all these Christmas things around it. Over here, a warped looking tree that had the satanic sign on it. And they had, they pitched a fit and they had been permitted to put up their display. Because the Christians got to put up their display and the Republican governor just squawked about and fussed and I don't like it, but didn't do a thing about it. Now think about it. (laughs) Somewhere, let me tell you, if Jesus is in your heart, somewhere you got to say it's Jesus and nothing else. I can't compromise this thing. I can't put one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That won't ever do. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, "You're either for me or against me. You can't straddle the fence. Well, here, this thing had gone as far as, as you could imagine, and this was even outside and beyond the boundary, <laughs> beyond the boundaries of Judah. You know what Josiah did? He said, General, mount up your troops. We have an enemy on the other side of our borders trying to destroy our lives, and we're going to go cut it out. That's what they did. Demolish the altars as far away as Naphtali, And the Asherim and the graven images, he crushed into dust. All the sun images, he cut down in all the land of Israel. And he returned to Jerusalem. I like this guy. They are part of the seed of Abraham. And they are so blatantly breaking the law of Moses. The law to which Israel is bound. That a godly king cannot put up with it. And he doesn't. When he got through... Up there in Israel, came back to Jerusalem. Now, God's people got to worship. You have to be, you have to know that we are obligated to stand in the presence of our God and our Savior. But they couldn't do the thing that the law required of them to do spiritually because the temple was in ruins. They couldn't do the things. The priesthood couldn't do their thing. The sacrifices could be. So here we go. In chapter 34 and in chapter 22 here, 2 Chronicles 2 Kings. The 18th year of his reign. He's 26 years old. Right? Is that right? 18th. After purging the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasia, ruler of the city, and Joah, the son of Joachaz, the recorder, to strengthen the house of Yahweh God, of, of Yahweh His God. They came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave the silver that was brought to the house of God, the house of Eli which the Levites who guarded that there were still some who were trying to hold on best they could through all of that evil, guarded the threshold, had gathered from the hands of Manasseh, Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all of Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. They gave it into the hands of the foremen of the work who were appointed in the house of Yahweh, they gave it to the workers who were working in the house of Yahweh to mend and repair the house the temple they gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy hewn stones and wood for the couplings and make beams for the houses that the kings of Judah had destroyed and the men did work the work faithfully and over them were appointed jahat all by the uh the Levites, the sons of Murari, Zechariah, Mashulam of the sons of the Kehathites. To direct and the Levites, all who were expert, there it is, with musical instruments. It's time for us to enjoy ourselves before Yahweh. And it is time for him to inhabit our praise. And over the porters and the overseers over all those who did the work for every work, all of the Levite scribes and officers and the gate sentries. Now here's what 2 Kings 22 says. 18th year King Josiah, king sent son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of Yahweh, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and let him gather all the silver that was brought to the house of Yahweh that the keepers of the utensils collected uh, from the people. Let them give it into the hands of the foreman of the work, who are appointed in the house of Yahweh and let them give it to the workers who are in the house of Yahweh to repair the damage of the temple to the carpenters, builders, masons to purchase wood, quarried stones to strengthen the temple. However, no reckoning shall be made with them of the silver that is given into their hands for the deal honestly. This is a thing of God. Now the best part's yet to come. We're going to have to stop here. And we won't have another Wednesday night until we do. I don't know when that is. Next year. Next year. Is it next year? Uh, we'll, maybe the Lord will come. But we'll stop there. Because as good as it is, it gets better. It gets better. All right. We're going to have our deacon prayer time.